Welcome back to part two of What our song intro. was the intro? <laughs> it's the little ending bit to the um, Come Join the Clowns. Okay, because we couldn't hear it. So for how we record is Danny just kind of starts the music. Usually it's Square Hammer by Ghost, but now it's this. And um, I didn't know, so I didn't know when to time it. So he's just there like <laughs> with his headphones. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like playing his little byline. <laughs> I'm having a good chapter two. <laughs> Welcome to part two. If you haven't listened to part one, please do that, or else you're going to be very confused. Or if you've only seen it chapter two, I guess listen to this episode. <laughs> uh, we're talking about it, the remake of yeah, it. About it, the remake. Also joining us still is Steph. Our still here. Hello. <laughs> this is part two Let's of our guest episode. Way. Did nobody's in here? Okay, great. Again, you're fired. <laughs> Alright, uh, where did we even leave off? We were talking about the remake of It, uh, namely, uh, what's great about it- Stop laughing! <laughs> Professionalism, Danny! Give me a minute. <laughs> okay. We'll talk, we'll talk. We'll, we'll talk. give him a minute. So, um, I think one of the things- one of the last few things we can say about the remake of It is that it's aged up. So the re- the uh, miniseries in the book are from the 50s to the 80s. And now this um, one is from 89 to 2016. So you're, we're aging it up to the late 80s as, when they're children. Um, and the effect works. So you have like the kind of stuck-in-time American pastiche of the 1950s for the book and the remix. Like, you know, the readers may or may not remember the 50s. Um, viewers of this movie may or may not remember the 80s. And I think a lot more people that are alive nowadays can kind of pick up on the, the kind of the, the vibes of the 80s, like all that, oh, yeah. all the, the imagery and whatnot. So there's, you know, movie theaters that are playing like the original Batman and like Lethal and Weapon Nightmare 2. Nightmare on Elm Street 5. <laughs> Nightmare the best of the Nightmare on Elm Street. That's not even the worst one. <laughs> it's not. Um, there's, you know, like, the riding bikes. It's very E.T., very, like, Goonies, very... Are you okay there? I'm drawing my Um, We're really pulling all out, pulling all the stops for professionalism in this episode. We haven't stopped talking for an hour and a half. <laughs> about killer clowns. About it. So, and we're almost sort of done. So, again, so they aged it up. I think that it works, especially a lot, like, with the nostalgia rate that, like, a lot of um, pop culture is moving to now. Um, the, the 80s is kind of easy to make stuff in. It's kind oh, of like yeah. how I think maybe in the 80s, the 50s was easier to make stuff in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, like, this kind of... Because it's the 80s, you would imagine there's a lot more, like, synergy between, like, adults and children. Like, they're not, like, in Stranger Things, like, the adults are present in their children's lives. Um, in this, kind of like we mentioned with the 50s, is there's a sense of urgency because the town is not doing anything to help its children. Um, not only are they just, they, they just can't see it or, like... They're deluded. We'll get to it with the book, but they're deluded somehow that like they just can't. Like they're in like a weird fog. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's straight up scenes where like adults see this thing happening, and they just don't even make the connection that something nefarious is going yeah. on. Like a woman watches Georgie get dragged into the sewers, and like an old couple sees Henry sees Bowers almost kill them, Ben, and they just drive. And they by. just and it, they. They kind of punctuate that by having balloons in their yeah. cars. So like, mm-hmm. Pennywise has controlled the whole town, and it's just a whole puppet show of people mm-hmm. that are not going to help them. Um, so it's cool because what was cool with the miniseries is the miniseries had a couple of scenes with Bill's family that, you know, it kind of solidified. Like, they lost a son. Bill didn't just lose a brother. In this, there's not a lot of relationships with the adults at all. And if they do, it's just like, why are you questioning the way things are? Just do as you're told. Like, Bill's parents, like, just accept that he's dead. Stan's dad is like, just read the Torah and, like, go through your bar mitzvah. Like, no one is very, like, and even Eddie's mom is just like, just do what I say so that you can just be my little thing. Mm-hmm. So, they're just all, like... And they, they're so, like, it's almost, like, hard to tell, like, which of them are real and what is just Pennywise fucking with them. Mm-hmm. So, it, there's, like, a whole, there's that whole speech that Bill gives right before they go to Neibolt Street um, that's about, like, 
I go home and all I'm reminded of is that Georgie isn't there. I mean, he's been ravenously searching for his brother since he disappeared. For months. For months. Almost a year. Yeah, and everybody has, like, there was, obviously there was, like, there's these funerals, like, oh, yeah, we'll figure it out, whatever. He's like, no, everyone just says that they want to help or says they feel bad, but, like, no one's doing anything, and I'm sick and tired of people not doing something. Mm -hmm. Because he's, like, the one of the kids that's like, no, I don't care that... It's dangerous. It took my brother, and it's going to keep taking kids until someone stops it. And we're the only people that are caring enough. I'm sick of people not caring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's awesome. It's such a great, such a great monologue that he's got. It's his first time in the entire movie speaking the full thing that he does not stutter once. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, Bill um, has a very chronic stutter, especially as a kid. Um, and yeah, when he gives that whole big monologue, he leaves and, and Richie's just like, wow, he didn't stutter once during that entire speech. It's cool because they all have their like little things that are like kind of identity, like identifies them. Like Bill has his stutter, you know, Eddie is a hypochondriac, <clears throat> um, Richie tells jokes and, you know, roasts everybody. <laughs> Mike doesn't go to school. Mike's just kind of there, unfortunately. Yeah. Mike has a lot of cool stuff in the book, and Mike's just kind of sidelined. Well, because they give a couple of Mike's things over to Ben in the yes. remake movie. Like, Ben's... I Fascination mean, with the history. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say he's fat, quote-unquote, that he's, like, the fat kid, sort of, like, whatever. Um, but, yeah, they did give him more of, like, the angle of, like, being interested in Darius history. Um, for the remake, the miniseries is still more Mike's thing, because uh, he's the one that inevitably brings everybody back and is like, listen, guys. Like, he does the Charlie Day, like, Pepe Sylvia thing, like, listen, I'm, it comes back every 27 years, like, it does all these things and it's back, and I know it, and listen to me. And don't walk away, <laughs> I can feel feeling away. Um, and, like, Bev, like, cut her hair, so, like, now that's, like, her weird identity, and, like, anyone's even uses that to, like, get to her. Mm. Um, and Stan's clean but not really <laughs> I don't know there's like a whole I mean they, they do a lot of revisionism stuff in chapter 2 with how they are as kids and I think it was just because they didn't want to make the first movie three hours but they had to talk about it sometime so mm -hmm. they decided to put it in two because there wasn't a lot going on there uh Although I kind of wish that if they do end up making that like big director's cut smash up thing with all, which of it, I really hope he does, they just edit all of it together <laughs> and they make all the kid parts and the kid parts. Um, do you have anything else about the remake? The first one, uh, yeah, not a whole lot. I think we covered everything that I had about it. Um, no, just the kids are great. I love the kids. Yeah. <laughs> so now part two of the podcast starts at it chapter two. <laughs> Uh, it's chapter two. It was released in 2019. Um, obviously everyone was waiting for it. Like, I mean, well, as soon as the first oh movie man. had its last credits and it just had it, and then chapter two came on underneath it, everyone got excited for when the inevitable chapter two. Well, came and even out. so, like, I didn't know what the movie was gonna be when I first saw it, and then about halfway through, I'm like, okay, they're gonna divide it into two movies and do all mm -hmm. the adult stuff later. Okay, cool. Like, so. Obviously, we talked about in the last episode how this movie destroyed like the box, office. the box office, the cultural man. Like this was during that summer that like all those like clowns were coming out and doing. This stuff. was a year later. This was twenty seventeen, right? Yeah, twenty sixteen was or was it twenty seventeen? No, it was twenty sixteen because I was a senior in high school, like in okay. the fall when that was happening. Um, so yeah, like this, like and as everyone's probably seen Bill Skarsgård's. Pennywise. Like, it's oh, yeah. everywhere now. Mm -hmm. Like, if you go into a spirit store any direction, you'll see something about mm -hmm. it. Oh, yeah. Um, like, it tore the roof off. Like, even kids that, like, probably never seen the miniseries or, like, kinda had, it was now theirs. Like, mm -hmm. it is now a new thing that is dominating horror, unfortunately not award ceremonies, like, <laughs> all pop, like, every pop culture thing had, like, an it reference. Like, oh, yeah. it was now popular again. Um... So a lot of, a lot of was weighing on their shoulders. Mm -hmm. So they didn't make, unlike the miniseries, they didn't make both movies at the same time. 
Um, I think because they maybe were just like, we're just trying to make this. So right they were, they wanted to make sure the first one was going to be able to be a success yes. before they got the green light. Because in a sense, like, the with the way the first one ends, it almost could be a standalone movie. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. Because, I mean, they don't like, they don't like for shit. Like, Bill's just like, if it ever comes back, like, we'll be right Like, we know it's going to come back because yeah. we know it. So, but like, like, in a sense, you could, you could almost leave it at that. Like, okay, like, this happened and, like, you know, we'll... Maybe it will come back. Like, will it come back, you know? Mm-hmm. Because everything was more or less wrapped up there. Yes. And Agreed. it works as a standalone movie. So, like, I think that if, if you're someone that nor- that probably is going to be scared by It Chapter 1, I would always recommend watching it anyway. It Chapter 2 is just a lot more... It, it, gives, it gives you the whole story. So, like, if you are very interested in the story as you're watching it, Definitely watch it, Chapter Two, um, but it, it's it's gonna be the same type of scares. Like it, it's gonna be very cinematically frightening. There's jump scares, um, grotesque imagery. I mean, a lot of dead kids like right up top in the yeah. movie. I mean, the movie starts out with a super brutal scene anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but uh, up top, so it's the production of the movie was the same people that made the first one, um, mm-hmm. same director, same production team. Um, mostly the same writer until he stepped away to do Annabelle 3. So then you had, um, Jason Fuchs to come in to replace Gary Doberman. Okay. Um, casting-wise, it's all the kids as adults. So you have someone to talk about so, how they did that. Um, when they wrapped the first movie, they asked the child actors who they would want to portray their adult versions. And, um, I honestly found it really fascinating who they all chose because... Bill wanted Christian Bale to take over. Um, so weird. <laughs> um, Beverly wanted Jessica Chastain, who ended up being the first person cast. They immediately the were like, let's get Jessica yeah. Chastain. She was, I think, like the number one person considered. Well, she and, was the first and only yeah. person yes. considered. Well, and because um, the Muschietti's mm-hmm. knew her from Mama, they're like, mm-hmm. we can definitely get her. Like, oh, yeah. we, like, she's worked with us before. We love her. Let's get her. Um Finn Wolfhard, who played Richie, wanted Bill Hader and threw his name into the ring. Um, Eddie wanted Jake Gyllenhaal. Ben wanted Chris Pratt. Um, Stanley wanted Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And Mike wanted Chadwick Boseman, who was approached for the role really? and only turned it down because, because of his Black Panther. Panther. Well, I'm pretty Meanwhile, sure Chris Pratt probably did the same thing because he was making Jurassic World or something. Yeah, or and Christian War. Bale was offered the role and turned it down outright. He oh, was like, I man. don't want any part of this. Oh, okay. But <laughs> on the bright side of that, Jessica Chastain was like, hey, I just finished working with James McAvoy. Yeah, for Dark Phoenix. In Dark mm-hmm. Phoenix. Maybe bring him in for Bill. And they were like, Yes, absolutely. Which I'll admit, when I first heard, was a very it was interesting to me. But I was excited. Know. I love James. I mean, McAvoy. I love James McAvoy. James McAvoy, of course, of yeah. Split and uh, the X Men movies. He's the young Charles Xavier. Mm-hmm. Um, he's fantastic. Like everything he's in, he is is great in. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that's not my first choice, but I'm sure but he'll I be like good. It. Yeah, yeah. But he, um, he did. It, he did a really well. He did yeah. a really. Well. Well job, really good job. Really swell job. Swell job. I mean, Jessica Chastain's like an Oscar-nominated actress. She was oh, in yeah. like Zero Dark Thirty. She's again like in Mama. She's pops up all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, Bill Hader of Saturday Night Live. He's been in dozens of well-reviewed comedies. Mm-hmm. He's documentary now. I mean, Kevin will want us to touch on documentary oh, yeah. now. Well, then he was on Barry, Did which Barry, is his new yes. show on HBO. Sure, yeah. Which and, was a very different, like, role for him. Oh, like, and I think that's kind of one of the reasons opposed. he decided, he's like, I want to do this. I yes. want to do it. Because he's a fantastic actor um, in and out of being a, a comedian. Um, and Barry, I think, is just further proof that he's a great actor. Yes. Oh, yeah. And in this movie especially, because you were talking about how um, it's hard for him to act scared. Yeah, he, he actually had to train, I read, he had to train himself to look scared because his natural reaction to being scared <laughs> is, is to laugh or to smile. And he's like, that's not going to work. And he's still, like, he so pulled he, it off. He did. He had to, like, he had to practice looking scared because he's like, that's not his natural reaction to things. So, uh... Unfortunately, so, uh, okay, so Chris Pratt obviously didn't get to be kicked, to be picked in this movie, but they had to pick someone who was just as, like, handsome. Ruggedly handsome. So they picked Jay Ryan of uh, Netflix's Beauty and the Beast. Who I straight up forgot that's what he was in. Yeah. So, I mean, 
Jay Ryan's a handsome. He's a he's very, a hunk. He's, he's a like the super handsome. cut guy, which yes. works because Ben grows up to lose a bunch of weight. He becomes this really fancy architect. He's really mm-hmm. rich, super successful, and also very handsome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So when he comes back to Derry, they're all like, "Who the hell? What the hell happened to Ben? Like, he like just who's, like, who's this random guy?" Yeah, <laughs> and the lighter's got that line of like, "Well, you guys look great. What the hell, what the hell happened? happened to me?" <laughs> Um, and then for the role of Mike, I found out Idris Elba initially oh, put in um, interest, but it ended up going to um, Isaiah Mustafa of the Old Spice oh, the commercials. Old Spice commercials. Hello, ladies. Yes. Look at your man, now back at me. Now look at your man, now back at me. Your man has turned into a cannibalistic clown. <laughs> I'm well, on a horse. I'm on a horse. <laughs> and one thing I love about reading about his take is he went into this and he read the book eight times before filming really? to read oh and, my read God. and get to know his character. Meanwhile, Bill Hader said, no, it's too long. I'm not reading it. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Hader did what I would have done. I'm like, well, shit, that's a long book. He's a comedian, right? I'll just do that. <laughs> So and you, they and were like, "You're cast." Well, and you said that Isaiah Mustafa found out he got the role. It like, was his, we- his so wedding his, day, right? His wedding got postponed because he got the call for this, and his now wife, because um, he had to fly out for it, yeah. and she was like, "All right, we'll push it back," because she knew that like he really wanted this. So she's like, "All right, we'll push it back a week or whatever." So yeah, it was nice. like the day he was supposed to get married. Yeah, like shout out to her. Like, That's so yeah. cool. Like they're coming into like. <laughs> I'm also getting married and I'm going to be in this movie. Like, cause I, I'm sure he's been in other stuff, but like I knew him cause I'm like, that's the guy from the old spice commercials. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think you told me and I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> well then you look and you're like, and then I yep. look and I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> um, so you said that Eddie's picked, um, Jake Gyllenhaal, Jake right? Gyllenhaal. Yes. Uh, so obviously Jake Gyllenhaal didn't get picked, but mm-hmm. they did pick James Ransone. Uh, who's been all over the horror world before. He was in Sinister and Sinister 2. Yeah. As Deputy So-and-So. Deputy so-and-so. Which is his name in the movie. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's what he's credited as. Um, he's also in Prom Night, which we forgot we to forgot. talk about. Well, I forgot to talk about it. Um, but yeah, so which would have been funny because if they had Idris Elba come in as Mike, Idris Elba and James Ransom are in the Prime Night remake. Would have, would have been a little reunion for them. Been like, he, Idris Elba has like the, he's like needs to be in four movies or he'll die. So he probably wouldn't have remembered him, but it would have been kind of fun. Well, and James Ransom's family, when they saw the It movies, they were like, hey, that kid looks just like yeah. how you did. He like I. It's I, very I swear weird. to God, it's like they took the kid from the first movie and they just aged him thirty years and yeah. put him in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like his characterization. I mean, we'll get into that. I was like, and they have this one scene where it just pans from the older one and yes. the younger one walks into the shot. Like they like superimpose his face on uh, like the kid's face. So good. And it does. It looks legit. Uh, and the last of the losers, they have Andy Bean come in as Stan, who, uh, in when they do interviews, like, when they did a press for this movie, they always had, like, the kids and their, like, adults. Or they had, like, one or two of the adults with, like, one or two of the kids. And, like, they got along so well. Oh like, God. not even with just each other, but, like, the entire cast, like, just like Bill Skarsgård, like, these kids are, like, another level. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, Bill Hader's, like, I've been acting for decades and i mean like i just kind of do it and they got like methods and they're like making choices like what the hell's going on and he, <laughs> even he's like thin like i got finn wolfhard's like letter to his older self because they had them write letters to their older versions of themselves oh, really? oh. so when they so when they gave the um the adult actors like what they're oh, younger so he's like i found out that like finn wolfhard like had said me and i'm like why? <laughs> like, because you're famous comedian Bill Hader. <laughs> like, do you remember? Um, so, But it's so cool because, like, Andy Bean, unfortunately, is not in the movie very much because Stanley's character, his adult version, so uh, the, the movie is divided into, obviously, when they were kids and when they were adults, and the only one that stayed in Derry is Mike. Is Mike. So... Mike, adult Mike, is calling all of the losers to be like, it's back. And they all have very different reactions to it. And Stanley's reaction is to kill himself. Mm-hmm. So adult Stan is not in the movie very much at all. Which is unfortunate because every time that Andy B was on a, an interview, he was a riot. Like, oh, he yeah. seemed like a great guy. 
Um, but he does have a, um, a really great scene at the end um, doing the voiceover of his suicide letter to all the losers saying the reason why he killed himself mm-hmm. is because he's like, well, it's stronger together. And, and I would I would have made it weaker. And so what I want all of you to do is live your lives to the fullest. So if you're going into this movie, again, how it opens, very intense. Very how it progresses, intense. very much like the first movie. Very scary, very, you know, it's it's awesome. And the end, most people in the theater that I went to go see were, were crying. Mm-hmm. Like, and I felt that. We were, yeah. <laughs> I felt that. Um, and I think that's why it's so great, because especially when they're adults, they can go into their nuances of their emotions. As they're adults, they have new traumas, and they have, are revisiting stuff from their childhood and making decisions that have, like, come out. Like, all of what Pennywise torments adult Ben is, is... Remember when you were fat, and no one loved you, and you did all this because you want to be able to like... Like, he just gets into, like... You're the way you are now because you're trying to run away from who you really are. Mm-hmm. So, like, again, psychologically tormenting these people. Um, and especially with the revelation that uh, Richie's gay. Yes. Uh, so that's all that Pennywise is coming at him with is that he's like, I know your secret. And I think in the, in the scheme of it, like, I think that they were try- maybe trying to make up in the, in the remake, the first one, that Richie didn't have a lot to go off of the aside from that he was afraid of clowns. Mm-hmm. Um, which I wish they just made that decision in the first movie. Because it would have worked in so well with, like, Richie, what are you afraid of? He's like, oh, clowns, I guess? And really it's like, I don't want anyone to know, you know, that I'm secretly gay and I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Because especially, like, when the first movie, like, being in the 80s, it was a lot more, like, taboo back then. Yeah, and, like, yeah. It wasn't... So, like, which, which also plays into... So the opening scene in the second movie... Um, involves a gay couple um, who are at a carnival and they get accosted by, you know, this group of bullies, essentially, mm-hmm. who beat the one, like, basically to death and throw him in the river. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is actually a scene that is straight out of the book. Which was crazy, because when that movie first came out, and I was like, this is, like, super dark. Because, like, immediately yeah. Pennywise then rescues the guy from the river and then Eats him. kills him in front of his boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And again, chomps at him like a lion. Yeah. Like, it's just eating him like an animal in front of his boyfriend. And then the movie begins. Like, then, like, the title card comes in. So, I'm like, okay, that's, like, super dark and, like, very intense. And I didn't know that was in the book. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm kind of glad no way, that they didn't just go, like, all right, let's make this super rough, like, right off the bat. Yeah. Like, you're going to get thrust back into the Apparently, world. Apparently, like, movie. I... I... I don't know the exact, but like apparently Stephen King's reasoning for it, he's like, I just want to show that Derry is just a shitty place to live. We gathered <laughs> that, like, Stephen yeah. King. <laughs> like, there were other ways you could have done, but again, like like with the time frame of the book, like it's 1985 in the book, yeah. and again, like you know, you know, gay couples were not as out, like yeah. gay marriage was not as recognized as it is now. So like in like the sense of like the book and the setting of the book, like it makes more sense. Yes. I mean, I'm not saying there's not hate towards <laughs> like you know, gay couples now, but it's it's not as intense as I believe it was, like, back in 1980. Well, now it's like, they that boyfriend could have, like, gone to the police and be like, yeah, these guys beat me and my boyfriend up, and they wouldn't have been like, so? They like, yeah. would have been like, alright, yeah. cool, where do we get these guys? In the, yeah, because in the book it was like, cause in, the, in the book it's actually, that scene is broken out in, um, um, like, the police interrogation rooms. Like, they're interrogating, they interrogate the boyfriend, they interrogate, you know, the three guys who mm. beat them up, and, you know, and you could tell, like, the cop who's talking to, like, one of the guys who beat him up, like, really, like, honestly doesn't get He's like, shit. I don't care, man. He's just like, all right, like, you know, what did he do? What did he say? Like, whatever. Like, like what did he do to provoke you? Like, give me something. Just give me something <laughs> yeah. so I can be like, all so right. So throw it out yeah. or do something else. Uh, so, so I think that's, it was good because I remember um, you had said this last night that they, like, the LGBTQ community was, like, upset. Mm-hmm. Like, whoa, that's, like, super overt. And I was, like, with them. Like, that yeah. was kind of intense. Damn. Well, and I, I, was I was too until I reread the book because, I mean, so I, I first read the book back in high school when I was, like, 16, yeah. which was, like, 13 years ago. So I honestly straight up forgot that that was even in it. So your the book like dairy makes you forget. It does. Weird. There's a lot. Because it's long and weird. <laughs> well, and I, I, a lot more of it resonated with me now than it did when I was sixteen. Um, but yeah, no, that was interesting to me. That I'm like, oh, this straight up is 
in the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's good because it's it immediately jumps back into doing what it did before, which was just preying on anybody that was isolated. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't. It like it doesn't care who you are. Like it's it, it only really is accosting Richie about his sexuality because he's like it knows that that it scares him. Mm-hmm. So he's afraid of people finding out about it and the scariest thing to Richie would be someone that knows. And so Pennywise just uses that. And I mean, he doesn't have a whole lot else to go on. So I think that's, I I don't know much of how it works in the book, but Richie is kind of like how he was as a child, kind of just also there with the guys. Like he's like, he's one of the first people that is like, why don't we just leave? Like we don't have to fight this thing. Like it does what, who cares? Like we can just go. You should have um, told me that I was coming back to get murdered. Because yeah. then I would have said no. You <laughs> should have called me and said, hey, want to go to Derry and get, get murdered? Just remember, I grew up here like two hours ago. <laughs> yeah, Bill Hader, like um, James Finn Wolfhard in the first movie, is always Bill hilarious. Bill Hader was like the hidden gem in that he movie. Rules he rules fantastic. Was, and he was he so had some good. of the most visceral emotional acting in the movie. Yes. And really there are scenes where people are almost killed by a clown. I mean, Jessica Chastain nearly drowns in a pool, like an actual pool of blood. And, I mean, again, they're all great. It was just like Bill Hader didn't expect it to come from him. Mm-hmm. No. Um, we should probably... Should we spoil it? Or should we not? <laughs> Do you really think we shouldn't? I don't think we should. Okay, so we're not going to talk about it. Um, oh, okay. So I guess we just won't. Um, so... <laughs> The other big thing about Chapter 2 is there's a lot of very meta-commentary about how... So Bill grows up to be a writer, because he's in a Stephen King book, and everyone's a writer in Stephen King books. Always. And the thesis of Bill's life now is that he's like he writes screenplays. Like, he's, like His books are getting turned into movies, and they have him on as like a consultant, like Stephen King does now. And his yes. wife is the act, like the lead Yes, his wife is the actress. Um, which we didn't really touch on in the miniseries, but his wife in the miniseries and in the book plays a very prominent role in the, yeah, in the yeah. ending and in their kind of them coming back to Derry as adults. Uh, this, I think they kind of knew what they were doing where they're like, well, the audience really cares about these characters. I know they got other things going on, but like, let's just kind of get into Derry and like, then we'll make the movie from there. And I think that works because I mean, it's already a long movie, mm-hmm. and they really couldn't put more stuff. Um, so because Bill is a is a writer and he's supposed to be the Stephen King surrogate, the movie that he's writing, he's rewriting the ending because the director's like, the ending is bad, make it better, and then he can't. So if you aren't well-versed in Stephen King movies or books, um, Stephen King has a problem ending things. Mm-hmm. Um, just in general, it either goes on for a long time or it's convoluted or it's kind of like a deus ex machina where they're like, oh, it's a world turtle. It's going to help them uh, beat this thing. Some weird ritual. Like, <clears throat> they don't just end like like how a book would end or like how a normal movie would end. They're just It gets weird. Yeah. Like the other night, uh, on our um, play on our uh, Instagram, follow our Instagram at the underscore square horror. Um, we've been putting up our um, Spooktember into Spooktober picks daily, and we had leading up to this week, we had a bunch of Stephen King movies. Mm-hmm. Um, the other night was Children of the Corn, which um, the, the original, original well, the original because oh. because it's on Hulu. So the original one, uh, like the book, has a very stupid ending. I'm going to say it's stupid. Um, they remade it in like 2007. Yeah. Completely different ending. Really? And I liked it way better. Because mm. it was a lot more realistic. Like, none of that nonsense from the movie happens. Because <laughs> it, it's, instead of it being a real thing, it's fake. They just made it up. And I'm like, that works way better. And it's scarier. I agree. Yeah. As, a, as opposed to like, okay, well, kids worshipping a, a dark god that tells them to kill adults... It's scarier if it's not real, yes. and they just did it instead of it being real or some nonsense. So Stephen King, bad endings. Oh, what you gotta know? The ending of it, which we'll get into, is kind of dumb. The miniseries did a very semi-accurate depiction of the ending in how they ended it. So right off the bat, one of the big kind of speculations about when this movie came out was like, okay, well, how are they gonna end it? Because mm-hmm. it's weird. Yes. And right off the bat, they're like. We know that the ending is bad, wink, in the book, 
and we're gonna make it better. I mean, Stephen King even has a cameo to say that he hated the ending. Yes. Um, I didn't like the ending. It's like, yeah, Stephen King, we know. <laughs> well, and it's kind of fun because I feel like even he's at a point where he's like, I can't, if I were to change the ending, I'd have to like rewrite so much stuff, and mm-hmm. I can't. But Stephen King is also at the point, he could write literally anything. And he can't, he does. He's doing it with the Dark Tower. <laughs> it'll be a bestseller because it's him. It's Stephen King. Well, and that's like, fun He's been because... a well-known name for like 40 oh, yeah. years almost, you well, know? And, but he hasn't like just kind of spiraled into just doing any old thing. Like he wrote like Under the Dome and Doctor Sleep mm-hmm. and like things that commercially and critically did very well. Yes. I mean, in Doctor Sleep, and you read the book Doctor Sleep. I did. Um, the movie rules. Oh yeah. And I've heard nothing but good things about the book too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think like Stephen King. It's not that like he's a bad writer. He's a fantastic writer. There are just periods of time in his career that he like wasn't great with certain elements of his books. Usually the endings. Um, I think a lot of it probably has to do with his addiction personalities. <laughs> Um, particularly, if you ever do end up reading the book, it, you will probably ask yourself, like, man, I feel like I'm high. And you're like, because someone writing this probably was. was. The, the ritual of Chewed in the book is <laughs> nuts. Let's get yes. into the ritual of Chewed. So the ritual of Chad. Chewed? It's got an umlaut over the U. Chewed. So the ritual of Chad. They say Chud in the movie, though, don't they? Ritual of Judd. That just sounds weird. <laughs> ritual of Judd. So the, so the ritual of Judd is a Native American ritual, um, at least in the in the context of it, Chapter Two. That um, what were they called? Shakapequa. in uh, Native Americans uh, used to try to fight it when it was decimating their tribe. Um, <laughs> And it, it just kind of centers around, like, finding tokens of the past. Of their, like, history with it. Yeah. I, I think that's probably what separated. it is, is that when they were separate, because this is where it kind of goes on to, like, the side mission plot of the movie, where they, it, where it flashes back to them as children, um, finding, or making at least totems of things where... After they had encountered it at the house on Ebolt Street, mm-hmm. they separated. They all like broke up. They did the they did the Sam and Dean Winchester like I don't think it can work together, dude. But they're doing like every, every other season. season. Yep. <laughs> so when they all broke up and they all were hanging out and doing their summer stuff, um, like Ben went to summer school. Mike just they didn't check in with Mike. Um, Mike ended up. <laughs> Just bringing it along. Well, Mike was probably still yeah. working, like just because. What did Mike? He, he said it was a rock. He just kind of found it. It was the rock that Bev. Yes. It was the rock that Bev hit Henry with. Yes, in the head that's right. The but I, they, he, got he just kind of went. I have the rock. They kind of glazed over that. Um, but like, so like Ben goes to summer school. Bill goes and is still yelling at storm drains about giving his brother back. Bev has more gross stuff with her father. Richie's playing in an arcade. Yeah. And that's when they're like, see, he's gay, right? And, you know, I guess it fits. Um, Stan was doing his bar mitzvah mitzvah stuff, Mm -hmm. and they cut out all the stuff about, um, they didn't cut out, they cut in all the stuff about the the clubhouse and whatnot that they cut from the first movie, movie. Um, (laughs) which I wish, I guess... It would be good once they do end up putting everything together if they did it. Yeah, the back super then. cuts gonna end up it would work. really solidifying this story. Because it would be cool. So this ritual, once they gather all these like totems, they go down to the uh, the cistern where they fought it as children, and they bring like this weird like tom tom drum thing that has like that they they light a fire in and they burn all their their uh, effects. That's not how it actually happens in the book. It's, it's no. So <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm probably not going to give the best explanation. I don't think anyone for, could. For what, Stephen King did. Yeah. I don't think he remembers Basically, it. Basically, <laughs> like like I think the basic understanding of it in the book is it's essentially like a battle of wills. Like they describe it. If I remember correctly, like the exact description of it is it's like it's like. You bite its tongue, and it bites your tongue, and you tell, like, jokes, and it's the first one to break, or so- I don't know. <laughs> so I think the the micro version of that is essentially boiling down to not letting it have that mental control over you. Like, not letting yes. it, not being afraid of it anymore. Yes. Um, which... 
we won't talk a lot about it, but it boils down to a semi-problematic scene of how the, the chapter two ends, where essentially they try to literally and figuratively make it smaller by proving they are not afraid of it, mm-hmm. which in theory works out well. Um, so just keep that in keep that in mind. And then in theory, I, it's good. And again, it the idea be, behind it's it better than the cool. alternative. Yes. <laughs> um, so. It kind of culminates very. I think it culminates pretty well, and and the epilogue after the fact of all of them kind of going on with their like now that they've kind of that they've buried the past mm-hmm. and. Well, and I love that at the end they use everyone's voice, both the adults yes. and the kids. Yes. Reading the end of that letter, yes. which is very cool, and that's the way that movie ends, which is very very interesting. And they do have that really cool shot too, where oh, they yeah. all are coming out, and it's the adults all standing in front of like a store window, and, the and then it pans over, the and the reflection is all oh. the kids. It's so good. It really does. This movie does have a lot of the uh, emotional um, aspect of it that the first movie kind of had, but you didn't have the perspective yet because these Mm -hmm. characters are still children and have their whole life. I mean, they kind of do it at the end when they're all kind of sitting there and they're like, well, we're all going to leave someday, but, you know, if it ever does come back, we have to promise that we'll come back and stop it. And, you know, once they do, they all kind of do have that moment where they're like, well, what do we do now? Like, just kind of leave, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... That kind of wraps up the movie movies themselves. I did want to talk a little bit about the book in the sense of what makes it super unique in a positive, great way <laughs> that the movies don't have. Because we kind of talked like, you know, each one has their own thing of how they shine that none of the other versions have. Um, the book's gotta have one, right? <laughs> um... I mean, it's just, the book is, it's just very, very long. Um, The thing that I can think of that I particularly enjoyed in the book is in the scenes, both with the kids and the adults when they perform the ritual. Because in the book, they essentially perform the ritual of Chud both as kids and as adults. Mm -hmm. Like, that's how they defeat it both times. And they do it more so when they fight it as adults, but they have segments where they actually go into, you go into its mind. Ooh. And, like, you kind of get to see it from its perspective. Cool. And when it's facing off, so when it faces off at the end, it faces off with Bill. And, like, you, the, there's a moment where it's, like, for the first time ever, it's afraid. Okay. Because it realizes, like, oh, like, they've figured this it's, out. It's, no, they know how to like, beat Bill's it. Like, Bill's like, well, I'm not afraid of you anymore. I know how to beat you. And it's like, oh. Like, it's legit, like, afraid for the first... Like, it's feeling fear for the first time in its existence, and it's, like, mm. I don't know how to deal with this. Like, which I personally found that very interesting. I think that's cool, like, because there's no part... Like, in every movie, it's always this kind of bad guy that kind of shows up and then, like, retreats into the darkness. Like, you don't know a lot about it. Like, even when they give you a little bit of background in It Chapter 2... It's still very nebulous. There's not, like, there is no origin. I mean, and there really was no origin of it or the Deadlights until, like, the Dark Tower kind of, like, sort of explained it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so there's, like, you don't get a lot of insight into how it thinks of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that, the, the I mean, the books always had, I mean, you were talking about how a lot of portions of the book are from the perspectives of people... Like, that Mike is interviewing in Derry. Yeah, so there's a whole, um, I I can't remember what they call it, but they're, um, like, in between chapters, they have little segments, and it's basically, it's, it's Mike's notes. It's, it's supposed to, like, be the time frame in between, like, when the kids all left, and when they grew up, like, he went around to Derry, and I think he kind of maybe touches on it in the movie, that he went around and interviewed anybody that he could about, like, the history of Derry yes. and stuff like that. So that's, um, yeah, they have the, I, I don't remember what they call it in the books, but yeah, it's just little, it's basically his notes about, like, you know, it's all, like, stories people told about, like, incidents where, um, you know, it appeared to them or whatever. But, and it's, like, as adults, like, they don't fully realize it, but he realizes it, like, oh, so, like, this thing's been around for, like, a while. Well, and there's, like, the, uh, I mean, the, the different perspective is always cool because I think that because the movies center so much around the losers, because they just don't have the time to introduce all of Derry as a character, um, it makes it feel like more of a real place. Oh, yeah. Like, I, well, every time there's, like, any degree of, like, history in, like, a town, like, that's very cool because it gives it a real, it gives it a soul, and it gives mm-hmm. um, the town that it's preying on 
background. Like, it, it's and its history with the town is very interesting. Because, like, it's existed for hundreds of years before these kids were even born. Well, and also, even going on that, at the end of the book, like, when it is destroyed, like, Derry itself is essentially, like, destroyed in, like, a torrential, like, flooding rainstorm. Yeah, it just, that's like, so yeah, the awesome. town, like, just straight up, just, like... Well, because, like, that's, like, like, by that point, like, all that's holding it together is this thing's, like influence mm-hmm. like it, it can't exist without because i mean again dairy was founded right on top of it like metaphorically and literally so like it doesn't exist without this creature so to like have to rip that away it's not like you know when they like i mean like in salem's lot like salem's lot just kind of is a book is another stephen king thing about vampires but vampires show up and ruin uh jerusalem's lot the town that they live in and once they get rid of the vampires, it, like, gets better. Like, a guy comes back after, again, very similar to it, where he comes back to his town after being away for years and is like, everything is shitty now. Why? And they're like, they, they can't really explain it, but they're like, no, it's these vampires that are starting to just ruin everything. So, and the stand is the same way, where, like, it's just a battle for, like, the, the, the lack of a better term, the vibe of the world. <laughs> like, is it going to be, like, super chill, or is it going to be, like, evil and fallout, you know, or everything's terrible? So, like, I think that it's cool, like, all of these versions of it have different, like, implications about what it all means. Like, the miniseries is not really about, like, you know, living your best life and not being afraid. It's like, okay, well... You gotta, like, finish what you start kind of energy. Yeah. The, the remakes are a lot about, like, you know, not being afraid and, and whatnot. The book seems to be just, like, clowns are scary. <laughs> <laughs> and all this other... There's, there's so much. Like, he, it, it's not just one thing. Because yeah. it's a book and because of so much, there's there's so much more. I, say, I think, ultimately, the three of these boil down to... The miniseries is the best if you're on a time constraint because yes, it tells absolutely. stories in three hours and 15 mm-hmm. minutes. This is the sales pitch. Each of the, the, the things. Um, the book allows you to go into such details about these characters yeah. and about yeah. the town itself. Yes. Yes. Meanwhile, these movies, I think, are, at least thus far, in my opinion, the best media interpretation of this book. I agree. I would agree with that, Just too. because yeah. they had the most time... They had the most attention because they were written, they were made by people that really like the books and weren't mm-hmm. trying to make like they weren't trying to reproduce what Stephen King makes. Like the best uh, like adaptations of anything in fiction are stuff that's not only written by fans, but they're trying to make it like in another light. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. so, you know, the Muschietti's obviously were like the soul of this of this book and the story is about these characters and their relationships with each other and themselves. And by extension, their relationship with it. Mm-hmm. So that's what our movie's going to be about. The miniseries is we're going to make the book, mm-hmm. and so people there are like pe- yeah, like almost like as like a trailer to like read the book if you really yeah. like mm-hmm. this. Um, and then the book just got everything started. So like yeah. I mean, it, there's probably never going to be a, an adaptation that's better than the book. I mean, it's that argument mm-hmm. of like nothing's better than books. I mean, that's a whole other thing. I mean, it's thing, just but... the book itself is just so dense. Like, yeah. I, I well, don't know if you yeah. could do an actual, like, you know, straight adaptation of the book. I just think, because there's yeah. just so much that happens. I that. think they're getting better at it where they're starting to make Stephen King books into shows. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, 11-22-63 is a long book, but it was made into a, like, eight-episode miniseries. Mm-hmm. The Outsider, I haven't read, but it's also, like, a, it's a normal size book. Like, it's a little bit longer, but, like, that is a very thick, dense book. And the show gives you all the information. And if it's, like, if you want to know more about this or this character or this concept, it's in the book expanded on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what they kind of tried to do with The Shining when they, like, redid it. And yeah. they made it, like, They a made mini-series. it as a miniseries, yep. So, like, I think that works. I mean, honestly, like, if you're going to make anything that's that detail-rich or that long, make yeah. it a series. Yeah. Like, The Mist. Like, they're doing that with The Mist. And, that's right. Um, they kind of did it with The Stand, but now like, I think they're just going to make it, like, a three-hour <laughs> movie. Mm-hmm. So, like, that thing that's cool. I mean, because people can kind of be drawn into a show. Like, you don't have to, like, okay, we only have two hours to, like, make this, like, beginning, middle, end. We can, we can kind of gradually do it. 
Um, Shows are the way to go, yeah. I think, for things I like agree. this, this yeah. long and this dense. Well, I mean, like, I think one of the reasons, like, why, like, Watchmen failed is because they didn't take the time to make it into something long. And when they made it into a show, they made it a whole new thing. Mm-hmm. And, like, you all could just do that originally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so what do we got on the docket this week for Spooktober? Oh, the shit. beginning of Spooktober, man. Oh, you have it. Great. <laughs> Professionalism. <laughs> uh, what's this? Today's Saturday. Okay, today's Saturday. So starting next week... It's going to be a doozy. So we have, um, coming down the pipe, uh, next week we're going to be, co- we're, our promised Rob Zombie breakdowns, um, we're going to do another two-parter um, about all of his works. We're going to have the first part be some of his more um, single-shot movies like Lords of Salem. We're going to do um, The Haunting World of El Superbisto. We'll talk a little bit about Rob Zombie himself and his world yes. of horror. And then the second episode is going to be the, um, the Firefly, Firefly trilogy. So that will include Houses of... Not House of Octoberville. House, House of, of a Thousand, Thousand Corpses, Corpses, The Devil's Rejects, and Three from Hell. So, on the docket, because two of those movies are on streaming, yes. we're going to have Sunday, so the 27th, is House of a Thousand Corpses. Monday... Which is not for the faint of heart. Yeah, I, well, I was going to preface. So oh, Rob yeah. Zombie, as we kind of said before... They're very um, aggressive. They're very intense. They're a lot of very. Um, they feel like music videos. Like mm-hmm. so, Rob Zombie, if you don't know, is a is a is a very famous metal musician um, who's a very like horror centric artist. So these movies are basically extended music videos of something that he would make. Yeah. Um, very coarse language. Um, yes. For the latter two movies in his trilogy, uh, pretty graphic sexual violence. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're very rough movies. They're very gross movies. But I'm hoping that during our episodes we can talk about the care that went into making the movies, um, the professionalism of everyone involved. And Rob Zombie grew up like in the 70s watching horror movies. So we just put all of his favorite actors into his movies. Like Sid Haig mm-hmm. has been in like hundreds of horror movies like forever. Oh, yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll get into that a lot. So first two days of that, that'll be Tuesday. will be Lords of Salem, another Rob Zombie movie, which neither of us have seen. Mm-hmm. So it'll be fun doing that research. Um, I would also assume it's probably also pretty intense. I would, I would, so just a little warning. Um, Wednesday is going to be The Possession, which I believe is on Hulu. That sounds right. Uh, The Possession with um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan from The Walking Dead, because I finally remembered his name. The movie is awesome. The two child actors in it, especially the girl, kind of like how we talked about with The Exorcist, like the key to it is because this girl sells it. She's Mm -hmm. fantastic. Um, And then getting into October, we're going to flip it completely. It's going to be super light movies. We're we're going (laughs) to... Take the second half of this week and yeah. let you calm down for so the first half. Before you listen to the Rob Zombie episodes, you can watch these more lighthearted movies. So we got on Thursday is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, which I love. Which I have never seen. Elvira is the best. Um, <laughs> Friday is Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, and Saturday is Evil Dead 2, which sounds like a horror movie, but it's a. It's, I think, one of the first big horror comedies. I would agree with it's, that. It's very, very funny. Um, the guy that made them, Sam Raimi, directed the Spider-Man trilogy, the original Spider-Man trilogy. These are, like, his first movies. Um, that'll wrap out the first... The, like, so I guess the first half of, uh, of the first week of October. And then after that, we've got a bunch of cool stuff coming on the pipe for the rest of October. Um, we've got episodes planned out for every single Saturday. Yes. Uh, we got another bonus episode coming down the way. We have our first franchise breakdown coming out at the end of, uh, October on Halloween. So the week of Halloween, it's going to just be boom, one after the other Halloween movies, um, which aren't really on streaming service, but we have them. So like if you are interested, especially after the fact of the, the episode, please reach out to us. We'd be more than happy to lend out our movies. Um, so yeah, so you can follow us on Instagram at the underscore square horror podcast. Uh, every single day, we're going to be putting up on our story the uh, movies of the day. So and like where to find them. and where to find them uh, to the best of our knowledge. Um, otherwise, you guys can just reach out to us. We have most of these movies, mm-hmm. uh, or have ways that you can watch them. Um, 
Also, if you are listening to the show and you're not currently following us on Spotify, Please hit follow. Us. Hit follow because as much as we appreciate people listening, it really, really adds to the number if we're also being followed by you as well. Um, it helps us try to get some ad sponsors so we can do a lot more content for you. Yes. Um, also, there's still, if you're listening, there's still currently no um, art. <laughs> so if you or someone you know is super artistic, please reach out to us on Instagram or in person about any sort of like cover art or title arts. Um, yes, Dan? Okay, uh, so I mean, we are currently looking for applications. I mean, we don't really know what we're looking for quite yet. Um, so anything that just says like square horror on it, anything that we can use as like a title page or something like that, so we can put on Instagram, put on Spotify, market yes. some way. Um, yeah, so please reach out, reach out to us either in person, over Instagram, or at our email account. We have an email account! Podcast at gmail.com. Yes! Okay, please, please blow up our email account and don't just, don't send us spam. Because <laughs> <laughs> one of us has to answer it, I mean... You can submit stuff online. Please, you can send the stuff to us. If there's and movies... And if you have yeah. any movie recommendations, send, yeah. feel free to send it our like, way. Slide into our DMs on Instagram or email us. You can do either one. Or just talk to us. Yeah. Because we want to talk about this with anybody that'll listen. <laughs> also, tell people you know, especially with October coming, there's a lot of people, like Danny, you said your sister, who want to get spooky but maybe aren't really sure how, or maybe they just haven't really dipped a toe into the this world before, but like... Give them the podcast, because even if they don't want to watch the movies, they can hear us talk about them, and it'll yes. get them in the mood. Um, just keep spreading the word. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, if you if your friends kind of listen, you can even take their phone, search it on Spotify, and then hit follow for us, and then you can give it back to them. So even if they don't listen, they, we got that follow. Um, <laughs> Building those numbers. Yeah, we got to build the numbers. Um, so we're super excited to keep doing this stuff into October because it'll be the first. I mean, this is like the way that we can do Spooktober now because mm -hmm. people can't come over. Um, so this is the way our way of trying to reach out to you because we feel like it's our duty to make your October, your days, scary and bright and full <laughs> of frights. Oh, man. Say something else, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's okay. Thanks so much for Steph for coming out. Thank we you. really appreciate it. Thank you guys. It was a lot of fun. Follow their podcast. Listen to it. Please it's do. <laughs> all right, you stay spooky, my friends. We all float down here. Woo! <laughs>